This morning, we continue worship by discovering the power and promise of giving. Contrary to a secular or religious understanding of generosity, the gospel opens the door for believers to celebrate the true blessing of generosity. When we dive into the depths of God's grace and love, the riches of his mercy, we cannot help but be moved to use our testimony, time, talent, and treasure for the glory of Jesus. The gospel moves believers from grace to glory through gratitude and generosity. Hear the word of God. Good morning. morning. I am Thomas Brooks, and join me in reading Acts 20, 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it is more blessed to to give than to receive. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. It is a joy to worship with you. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to Acts 20, you can keep it open, uh, but it's a pretty short verse that we're looking at today. It's printed in your bulletin, uh, and also we're going to be looking at our litany of confession from 2 Corinthians. Um, And uh, just to give you a little context of the passage, uh, rather than reading it all, we're really going to focus on answering that question, how? How is it more blessed to give than receive? But Paul is giving this admonition to the elders at the church that's in Ephesus. He had been there for three years. It's the longest he stayed anywhere on his missionary journeys. Uh, He was very close to them. These were the last words that he said before he went to get on the ship. And so they they carry with it extreme significance, uh, mainly because it was his final words and communicates an urgent priority. Paul had already talked about, if you read the context, chapter uh, 20, verse 17, 20, uh, that he had not shrunk back from preaching the whole counsel of God. And then in verse 24, Paul talks about how he himself gave everything. He didn't consider his life worth anything because he wanted to give himself to the call that Christ had to testify to the gospel of grace. And then following that, he he talked about wolves that were going to come to the church after he left, dressed in sheep's clothing. And as if to give a window into authentic leadership, he goes back to the words of Jesus it's more blessed to give than receive. The, the, the true leaders of the church, the true servants, those that know God's grace, will understand the blessing it is to give our lives away, not to use the church or a sheep for their own purposes. Now, if you're a student of the Gospels and you say, Mitchell, Paul says that Jesus said this, but I can't find it anywhere in the Gospels that he said it. I said, yeah, that and a whole lot of other stuff. If John is correct, at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21, you remember what John said. John said that if everything were recorded by Jesus, all of his teaching and all of his works, there aren't enough books in the whole world to record them all. And so it's no surprise that Paul is emphasizing this priority through quoting Jesus in a way that we don't have recorded. That's okay. 
What is important is for us to really unpack and understand the depth of this. That it truly is more blessed to give than receive. Now, I had lunch with somebody this week uh, who was, wanted to talk to me about a strategy, a systemic strategy to help Christians find joy in generosity. Can you believe that? He wanted to figure out, he wanted to ask me a few questions. He didn't want to ask me to give and be generous. But how do we help the church wake up to have joy and generosity? And he spoke with passion, using all kinds of even Old Testament references. He talked about Deuteronomy 8.18 and the fact that God has given everyone everything and all of our wealth and comes from God and it's a joy to give it. And we talked about Haggai. Yes, Haggai. He's a minor prophet. And he, Haggai talks about how all the silver and all the gold and all the world belongs to God. And anything his people have, it's just a gift of steward. And as I'm listening to his passion and hearing his plans to, to create a system that restores joy among Christians, I'll be honest with one of my first thoughts. I said, man, to myself, I wish I'd heard this before I bought lunch. Because I bet he would have found a lot of joy in buying me lunch, you yeah. And then I went on to engage him. It's true. How easy it is just to think of ourselves and what an invitation it is to find real joy and real blessing in generosity, in giving. And that's what we're going to look at today. But here's something we can all identify, you and especially me, the, the, the condition of our fallen hearts. We're too much like the world. And we give and we share because we get something for ourselves. It's part of a normal economic exchange where in the giving and receiving we have a normal society. And we even apply this to God. Whereas if we give something to God, we should receive something in return. But this is to rob us of the joy that God has for us. See, being a Christian is about far more than just functional and transactional giving. It's ultimately about knowing the God who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And only the gospel we will see, only the work of Jesus we will see, only the grace of God we will see compels us to find joy in giving our time, our testimony, our talent, and even our treasure looking for opportunities because we're so secure in God's love. We don't need to worry about the security that we have in our material possessions. We're so secure in the significance we have as a child of God that we don't need to find our significance in this world. Rather, we respond to God's grace by being conduits of his grace and his love. Now, if you're like me, since you were a little kid, you were conditioned to think that it's a lot more joyful to get than it is to give. And so we need God's Spirit to touch our hearts, don't we? So before we unpack the Word of the Lord, will you join me in going to the Lord of the Word in prayer? Let's pray. Lord God, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You are the good shepherd that laid your life down for us. Would you please give us your Holy Spirit? that we might know a piece of the king's economy that comes from knowing the fullness of the work of King Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you open the eyes of our heart. 
Help us to see your work more fully so that we can leave here serving you more faithfully and fruitfully. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. So we're going to ask the question, how in the world is it really more blessed to give and receive? We're going to look at three perspectives. We're going to look at a secular perspective. We're going to look at the religious perspective. And then we're going to look at a gospel perspective. First, the secular perspective. Now, the secular perspective, those are that are irreligious, those are that are anti or without believing that there is a God at all. They live completely in a non-transcendent world uh, where we really believe that humans are the height of all there is. Uh, materialism gives us the meaning of our life. Secular perspective feels that there is a blessing when we give to get something from others in a system of exchange. Now, we don't need to go far when we read sociologists uh, that offer a positive reinforcement. That if people are generous, that if people give, there's a positive reinforcement for the person and for the society in which they live. Giving, according to the sociological studies, are good for the individual, the family, the community, and even the city. Now, there's two guys that I read a good bit about. There's Stanford sociologist, a guy named Brent Simpson, a guy named Rob Willer, Robert Willer, and they suggest that when you give, with, give to others, that your generosity will be rewarded to you by the people you give to or by people that are further down the line. Sometimes by people who are just tangentially related. Now, they call this study of generosity, a pro-social behavior. And we understand the premise. Here's a quote from them. They talk about the exchanges of giving and receiving, and they say, these exchanges promote a sense of trust, a sense of cooperation. It strengthens ties to others. And research has shown that it has a positive social impact, central to the good of even the giver in mental and physical health. There's actually direct correlations between people who are generous and people who are healthier. Almost as if humans are designed to be givers. And that when we don't give, it actually, when we're selfish, it makes us sick. Now this is just purely sociological, but I have to ask, is it really giving if we're only giving for our own well-being or that we're trying to find something, trust and security in our community that's really about us? Is that the highest end in a real blessing? It's a good thing. Let me illustrate with a story. I, I, I grew up with my brother, John. He's four years older than me. And my brother John was in a, uh, a rock band uh, from a very early age. The name of his band when, is he, when, was it, when he was in high school is Too Inappropriate to Share at Church. Okay, <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. And I had a birthday. He's four years older than me. I, I don't remember if I was eight, nine, or ten, but I was young. And I remember sitting on the back porch with my grandmother, my brother, my sister, my mom, and we're opening presents, and I opened the present from my brother. It was so long ago, he gave me a tape, right? 
And the tape was from a band called Van Halen, and it was still in the plastic wrapper. And that's how long ago this happened, folks. Like, some people are in here like, what's a tape, Dad? Right? Yeah, some people, <laughs> anyway, we'll stop. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I, I had never heard of Van Halen. I didn't listen to Van Halen, and my brother's like, dude, you're going to love that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have birthday, eat the cake, and as soon as we're done with lunch, my brother's like, hey, you mind if I borrow that tape? I'm like, sure. And he went down to his room back in the day when there were stereos that would record tapes. And he made a recording of the tape within 15 minutes of my birthday. And then he came back and he gave me one of the copies. I don't remember if he gave me the real one or the fake one. It didn't matter. It illustrates the point. Is my brother's giving and generosity truly giving in generosity if it is in fact just for himself? And is it the highest form of blessing when we give purely out of a functionality so that we will receive? It's very utilitarian and very flat and it's not where real blessings found. Yes, it's important that we're generous and yes, it's important that our community is strong and yes, but you know, God offers something greater. The secular perspective is that we give to get something from others in the system of exchange, and too often time the church just incorporates that in our own life together, and we have a religious perspective on giving, whereby we give something to get something from God in a system of exchange. Now, Jesus did talk about this all through the Gospels. His teaching was directly challenging to religious people like Pharisees and Sadducees and uh, uh, priests and scribes, people who gave so that other people saw, people who gave because they believed it gave them a good standing before God. He had very tough things to say. You can read Matthew 6, you can read Luke 18, and, and Matthew 10 even, Jesus tells a parable that I think is probably the background to this phrase by Paul. That it's, then he quotes Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. But is it truly a blessing when we're so insecure before God that we give to try to make sure we're in good standing to him? Is that really a blessing to be so insecure in our love that we feel like we, we have to give to have a higher position and a sense of significance? Is it really God's best if we feel like our relationship with him is that if we're not generous, then he's not going to be good to us. The reverse of that is that people who give feel like God is obligated to do good to them. I say this, uh, people say, Mitchell, how do I know if I'm giving in a way that I feel like is obligating God to be good to me? And here's the diagnostic question. When you're going through severe affliction and trouble, it is very appropriate. It is permissible, and in fact, God encourages us to ask him tough questions. Even why is this happening? Habakkuk gives us language of lament. The Psalms are full of lament. But if our constant driving question that is unresolved is, God, how could you do this to me? Then what that reveals is a heart that's entitled because I've been doing things for you, God. I've been giving for you. How 
How could you do this to me? You see, it's actually a trap when we focus on our own performance, our own work, our own self-righteousness, the enemy lays that trap because we miss the true treasure of God's grace. Now, I want to highlight this statement I'm getting ready to tell you by telling you the story of the prodigal son or summarizing it. And I'm going to use a paradigm that a guy named Dr. Timothy Keller uses. All right. So here's the statement. There's two ways to be lost. Here's how Jesus talks about it in the story of the prodigal son. The first way to be lost is that there's a son that goes off into a far off country. And he's so self-absorbed on himself that he indulges in everything. And everything's about him. And he, he cast, I mean, he is lost as last year's Easter egg. You know, have you found that one yet? You don't know because it's lost. That's where this guy was. The son that is a prodigal. Now, the other way to be lost is when the son comes home and he, he engages the father's love, the celebration, the gladness of the heart of the father that runs to him. There's another brother. And that other brother is off in the fields. And he's sitting there like this. I can't believe that you're using more money on this kid. He took your inheritance and he ran off. He wished you were dead and now you're celebrating him like he's alive. I've been good my whole life. What have you done for me? What kind of party are you throwing for me? You're wasting your money. That should be my money. Don't give it to that kid. You see that? Two forms of lostness. Both of them don't know the depth of the father's love. Both of them are self-focused in different ways. One is self-focused and self-indulgent. The other is self-focused and self-righteousness. Neither of them know the depth of God's love. And when we approach giving from a religious perspective, we are just as lost as that older brother. Focusing on our own work, our own benefit, and as if the son, as the son obligated the father to be good, for, good to him, so too we obligate God. What have you done for me lately. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a third way, a third way where we see that the most generous gift of all, the greatest love is shown for us that while we were still sinners, the father sent the son not to condemn the world, the, the, uh, the wayward or the religious, but that the world might know his love through the work of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to look back down at your bulletin uh, and you'll see it printed in our litany of confession. Now, as you turn to, uh, to look at 2 Corinthians 8, you can look in your Bibles too. We're actually going to look at verses 8, chapter 8, 8 and 9. But remember the whole verse that Paul says. Paul has actually lived this. He says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Paul has modeled the gospel with his life, giving his power for those who are weak. And then he goes into this. um, uh, We must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity can only come through the gospel. The gospel perspective is this, that we give because we know and we want to show 
God's grace in Christ. Only the gospel shows us that God himself is enough, his love for us enough. Only the gospel compels us to a greater glory. Only the gospel gets us focused off ourselves in the kingdom of God and Jesus. And we see this through the example of uh, the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, this passage is really powerful, but you can see first that Christians are grounded in grace. Do you see what it says there? Uh, Right at the beginning of the litany of confession, it says, we want you to know about the grace that God has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Grace is the ground of generosity. Grace is the ground from which our gratefulness and generosity grows. Grace is the ground from which God's glory shows. And if you read chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul's polemic, compelling people to, to allow the gospel to touch our hearts so that we can find joy in our giving. Yeah, You'll see that grace is not only described as the way that, uh, the, the way that we get into giving, knowing Christ personally, but it's also the means by which we give. It's a, a grace of generosity's way it shows. But Christians are grounded in grace. The second thing we see is that when we know God's grace, our gratitude shows. Look at verse 2. It's unbelievable. At giving to the churches in Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into the wealth of generosity. Now, Many people are going through life, it's really difficult, and we're stuck in that place of severe affliction. Others are going through financial hard times, which are very difficult, and we're stuck in that place of extreme poverty. Paul uses an example of the Macedonian church who was in severe affliction and extreme poverty. And they had joy that overflowed in extreme abundant generosity. How in the world is that possible? The answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel invites us into something greater and our gratitude, no matter what our circumstances, our gratitude, no matter how our bank account looks, our gratitude, no matter how deep our affliction shows. And when we're filled with God's grace, then our giving will flow. Look at verse 5. It's unbelievable. And it's the, uh, uh, the second part of the litany there. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Listen to this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the saints. You hear that? Extreme affliction, extreme poverty, and they're begging Paul, please let us give. Please let us help the offering. Please let us help the saints. Please, 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 please take our money. Now, look down at verse 5. It's, it's even more. They gave because, verse 5, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of the Lord to us. So when we know God's grace, our gratitude shows. When we're filled with God's grace, our giving overflows because we give ourselves first to the Lord. And that means 
all, we understand all of his grace covers all of our sin. And it moves us from death to life. And by his spirit, we can begin again and walk in a newness of life. And love as he loved us and gave himself for us. So our testimony, our time, our talents, and our treasure are just vehicles for something greater. Our love flows. And finally, from this passage, we see that when grace shows and flows, then God's glory grows. Now, if we keep reading in chapter 9, uh, verses 6 to 7, and we see it, the point is this. This is what he says. The point is this, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as decided in his heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And if we kept reading, we get the 13, we'll see it's all about God's glory growing. And we see the central piece of that is found in the end of the litany of confession that we had. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. How in the world is it more blessed to give than receive? How? Because the gospel touches our hearts. First, a biblical example. Second, we're going to land the plane to some application. Now, I thought... I looked, I read, I made a list of, of missionaries and, and philanthropists and uh, people that are super generous. And I thought, maybe we can inspire the congregation and, and really want people to, to learn to give and be excited about it. And I said, you know, that ah, so inaccessible. You know who's accessible to me? Nicodemus, a Pharisee. You know, we first meet Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's so insecure in his status, you know what he does? He goes to Jesus at night. I don't want to ask Jesus questions when people can see me. I don't want to lose my status as Pharisee. He's so insecure that he can't even let his peers or his family know he's going to talk to Jesus. And he asks Jesus, how is it, you know, can someone be born again? And Jesus explains the gospel to him. And, and we, Nicodemus kind of dives in and out of the Gospel of John. He shows up again in chapter 7. But what's really significant for us is in chapter 19. When Nicodemus comes out of the closet with his faith, not coming to Jesus at night, but after Jesus has died. This is a picture of a bunch of myrrh and aloe in the ancient Near East. He, it says, that his self-righteous religious insecurity that kept him in, going just a, kind of a closet asking Jesus questions guy, it moved to abundant generosity to, to anoint Jesus's body. He brought 75 pounds. That's five, 15 pounds of dog food. You ever unload food for your animal into the house? You know, that's the thing you can't carry with other groceries because the bag's too big. Guys try to show off and put it on their shoulder and still carry other bags, but it's just a bad idea. You're going to break eggs if you do that. But no one's carrying, you know, five 15-pound bags of food because it's this extreme abundance. 
And somehow Nicodemus the Pharisee was no longer uh, worried more about his status, no longer more worried about his security. He was worried about giving all he had for his king who had loved him and gave himself for him. And I identify with that self-righteous religious man that cared more about people's opinions than the love of his God. If you're like me, I can identify with both the lost son and the self-righteous son. But this is my default. And somehow, God's love ambushes our hearts and moves us from a place of self-righteousness whereby our generosity is just participating in economic... Uh, like We think God's economy is like, hey, I'm going to do th- good things so you'll love me. I'm going to give so you'll think better of me. I, this is how it works, right? You give a little, I give a little, and everybody's happy. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you can give nothing. The gospel is you have nothing. The gospel is that Jesus had to do everything. He had to give his whole life so that you can have new life. The gospel is that we're sinners deserving condemnation. And the only thing that we gave Jesus is our sin and our condemnation. And he took it. He became sin. So whereby his grace, his work, we can become the righteousness of God. That's unbelievable. So we're free. We are free of any sort of burden of self-focus and self-serving. And here's what that includes. When I was younger in my discipleship, I used to think that, hey, you know, I'll go get at the end of the line because Jesus says the last will really be first, right? So if I go to the end of the line and, you know, in Jesus' eyes, that means I'm first. I used to counsel people. I used to say, hey, look, man, you know, if you give now, you know what that means? Later, you're going to get a lot. I used to, I used to say that. I mean, it's all about an economic exchange. Somehow in the kingdom, it's all going to pay off. But that's just another way of my Phariseeism coming out. You know, the gospel frees us to realize the depth of the love of our God where somehow he's enough. God in himself is enough. And so we, we, we see our wealth, we see our time, we see our treasure, we see our talents in a whole new way that we get to use it and real blessing is found in giving him more glory. Jesus' name being made great. We find a, a wealth of blessing in not just the glory of God, but the good of his kingdom. That his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That somehow we get to, we get to find the, 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 the gratitude and the generosity that flows from a heart that's touched by a gospel. It makes us more like Jesus. That we get to walk in love as dearly loved children and give ourselves as he loved us and gave himself for us. And that the glory of God, the, the good of his kingdom, the, the, the giver becomes glowing out of us, that his light and his love is what shines forth from us, and we discover that there's no greater blessing. That that's actually the greatest blessing of all a deep satisfaction in the love of our Savior that's so secure. We find our significance so deeply in him that we're free. We're free to be joyful and surprising in our generosity. That's the invitation. It's pretty cool, huh? Let's pray. Lord, it's so humbling 
that you show us your love. It's so rich and beautiful. Would you open our hearts more and more to the depth of your love, what you've done for us, what you want to do through us? We do pray, Lord, that you would get more glory, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done, and that we'd understand the depth of your giving so deeply that we would just want to reflect you in our giving. We ask, Lord God, that your love and your light would glow so that all the world will know how deep the Father's love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.